Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the generic podcast. We talk about everything horror, science fiction, sometimes fantasy. Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Generic Podcast, where we talk about everything horror, science fiction, and sometimes fantasy. And today on the show, we have Judith Sonnets, who is a extreme horror author. Judith, how are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. It's so great to have you on the show for today. Thank uh, you. I'm excited. Yeah, like... So, so, so tell us about yourself. What do you, what do you do? And, and how did you get into everything that it is that you're doing in the, the horror community? Uh, well, I have been a longtime fan of the genre. Um, I started writing horror stories when I was in eighth grade. Um, and I finally started publishing. And um, I, I believe my first book came out in 2020. But now I have published four novels, two of them, the recent ones are self-published, and I am a fan of extreme horror. So like the farthest you can go with gore, sexual depravity, exploitation, that is how far I will go. So you said you started writing in eighth grade. Was, was the writing that you did then, was it similar or was it completely different? And like, what was that like kind of transition if so? It, you know, I've always, I've always been into like gory, bloody horror. Um, I, I think I balanced it out probably a little better when I first started, because back, back then, all I really knew was like John Carpenter movies and Stephen King. And I love those guys, but they know when to show gore and when to hold it back. Yeah. And now that I'm at this point where I'm more into like, obscure horror movies. The German splatter director, Olaf Edenbach, is a huge influence for me. There's there's no holding back anymore. <laughs> what is like the big thing that really irks you when you mention the people that you write horror? Um I don't I don't know if there's really anything that like annoys me all that much Mm. Uh, I I get kind of uncomfortable when people say oh you write horror like Stephen King or like this other famous author and a I'm just never going to be at that caliber (laughs) um, (laughs) since I do things as very indie very self-published very down to earth and also just I don't want them to have expectations for my writing when I'm trying my best to be unique to my field. So if someone's comparing me to Stephen King, I kind of want to tell them like, oh no, a um, lot, lot more gore, a lot less drama. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good way to put it. I think a lot of the times, especially with the type of horror where, because I get that a lot too, you know, where I'm just like, you know, I'm really into horror or I write horror or something like that. And they're always, it's never like John Carpenter or, you know, 
anyone else. It's literally always King. And then like, if they're like, oh yeah, I love horror. It's like, they've seen it in the theaters and it's like, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's also, um, I think trying to get people to understand that there's more types of horror out there is kind of a hard thing to do. So that's like, that's another reason why I was like super excited to get you on here is because like, I don't, I, I am very new, at least in literature and probably in film too. I'm, I'm new to a lot of the extreme horror, but there's just so many different subcategories that it's something I think a lot of people just don't know about. Yeah. Uh, and the people who know me know I, I love like popular horror as much as I love indie horror. Like there's merits to all of it. Um, and there's so many options too. Right. Yeah. Who would you say, like, if you were to try and get somebody, like, say if somebody was on the fence about reading one of your books, what would be a segue to that? You know, like, it's kind of like when you're trying to get that that friend of yours who only watches like rom-coms or something to try and get into horror, like, what would you suggest either like a film or like a, a book that they could watch that's like once you get to that step this is the next step well if it's if it's someone who's not really used to like my brand of horror i'd say for movies the best place to start would be so if it was just to like push someone into like my brand of horror uh, I would start with the movie Demons, directed by Lumberto Bava. Um, because, and a lot of extremist authors do this. It's very much about, like, throwing logic out the door and just going for, like, nightmare-style imagery, going as gory as possible, having fun with gore. Um, you can either go, like, the super over-the-top fun way or the really, like, gritty, human, we-want-you-to-feel-terrible way. And I would suggest people start by having fun with extreme horror and demons is just such a classic and the gore really holds up well in that movie. I just think it's a great place for anybody who's interested or about to be interested in bloody horror to start. I I will, I will say that I haven't seen that movie, but I'm going to put it down on my to watch list now. Oh, Uh, absolutely. It's so good. What is it like streaming anywhere or should I, should I probably just, I, I I get asked if things are streaming all the time and I feel really bad that I have no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I tend to collect like the Blu-rays, DVDs, or I, I have like stacks of VHS tapes as well. Um yeah. I'm I'm into the physical media side of things. So I, yeah. I have no idea if it's streaming anywhere. It might be. This it's funny that you mentioned that. Like I've been trying to get, you know, even people that collect physical products right so like you know whether it's you know any games that fit the genres that i'm looking for or you know books or films or anything and i was talking to somebody today at work and it's kind of daunting now because like you know i grew up you know with vhs tapes i think i still have a few lying around like some like random godzilla tapes (laughs) but uh you know It's interesting how many people don't realize that even though they have all this like music and books and movies that they've purchased on all these different sites or like streaming services, 
they actually don't own it. Um, yeah. And, you know, like what happens when the power goes out and you can't read your books anymore or, you know, like you can't watch your movies because you don't have like a localized source of um, energy or anything. So it's there's yeah, so there's like, nothing wrong, I think, with like experiencing something electronically. Mm-hmm. It's just for me personally, I can't like relax and read an ebook. I I can't really stream anything because I get like distracted by all my options on there. <laughs> and it's so much easier for my like anxiety brain to focus on one thing at a time when I have only one thing available on the TV. And that's the thing I put in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's it's funny that you say that because like I have so I have really bad ADHD um, and I've worked a very long time to get it under control. And I think like the, the first time that I really realized that like I had a shot at just like managing it is like I went to the doctor and they realized that they had like underdosed me. So like I was paying for medications for all this time and it like wasn't even getting into my system. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so, um. I remember when I first moved down to um, to Austin, Texas here, uh, I was like looking at all the stuff that I was like wasting my time with. And one of them for the longest time, like I was like timing stuff. Uh, and one of them was Netflix. And I found that I would spend one to two hours just browsing through what they had to watch yeah. and i'd be like "Ooh, there's like this obscure horror movie and oh there's this like foreign you know kaiju film that i want to watch and here's like this yeah. other thing and then it'd be like an hour or two and i'd be like i haven't even watched anything and i've spent longer than like an average movie just like looking for stuff and like so i totally get like you know, like it's over, it's really overwhelming. Um, it is. And some people can manage it. I'm, I just am not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so like yeah. people, people always think I like collect physical media as like some statement about how I'm against <laughs> streaming. And I'm like, no, I just can't focus on it. I think one of the other things that's really nice about collecting uh, physical media, A, and I don't know if you do this, I, it just might be me. I know, I, I think some other people do it. But I love there's there there are several scents that I love and three of them are getting a really old book like you know when like the, it's like the pages are like super yellow and like they've been around forever like oh, a yeah. super <laughs> old book generally I like I really like that smell and then like opening a new book or like a new like you get like a new DVD um, or video game and you open it up and like something about that like weird plasticky cellophane it's, but like also it's that new car smell it's like a <laughs> filtered down version of that <laughs> like, yeah and i've i've been buying so many new books lately i love old books i collect like pull poor books from the 80s but uh since i've been going down the self-publishing route i've just been like hoarding as many like fellow indie authors as i can just so i can support them mm-hmm. so i've got like piles and piles of new books that haven't been opened yet just sitting around yeah i think i think that's one of the the problems with people that read and write it's like i always tell my friends i'm like hey i i got in trouble i got in trouble with my friend um last week for this or i was just like hey i was like we're gonna go out and like i'm not gonna buy any books 
<laughs> and then like they come over and i have like this stack of books and i was like i'm just i'm just gonna get these and like they're like you have a library like just read what you have and then get the other stuff i'm like but it might not be here <laughs> um, yeah it's like i i've been trying to do like a buy ban mm-hmm but then I keep seeing all these like indie books coming out. And I'm like, oh, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. like, I got this uh, 50 page novelette by Sean Hawker called The Captive Dwarf, um, <laughs> which is about a couple that hires a dwarf to play their baby since they can't <laughs> have a child. Okay. And I, I was just reading that horrible like 70s style exploitation synopsis <laughs> going okay i'm gonna buy it <laughs> i haven't even read it yet i don't know if it's good or not but like what a concept <laughs> you just you just sometimes you just read something and like it's not it doesn't even sound good it just sounds terrible in like a good way and you're like I shouldn't get this. And in the back of your mind, it's like, no. And I bet this one's going to be amazing. Like, I bet I'll read it and it's going to be, oh, wow, this is the best book I've read in a while. <laughs> right. Um, I know that you're, you're, you know, you're so like, you have a good amount of works coming out and you have some works out. Have you done anything that's been traditionally published or is it all indie? Sort of, kind of not. Um, my my first two books came out from an indie group called mm-hmm. Black Bishop Manuscripts, and I really liked working with them. Um, but they they're focusing on their own different things now, and I was just kind of like, oh wow, if I go on my own schedule, I can release as many books as I want, mm-hmm. uh, whenever I want. So the last two books have been self published, okay, and it's looking like at least until the summer, I have a book for each month coming up. Okay. You've you've been really busy. (laughs) I have been. (laughs) Uh, So what are, what are some of like the differences that you've noticed? Like if somebody, you know, if somebody else wanted to come out with, with some books, what is like some knowledge that you would drop on them before? Like they, they got into the foray of, of writing. Oh, I, I would definitely just suggest, that as long as they feel like they own their own work, then it is totally worth it, whether that's with a traditional publisher or self-publisher. And thankfully, with with both options, I felt like my work was my own. I didn't feel like anyone was breathing down the back of my neck, like trying to control what I was writing. As long as they have the freedom to write whatever they feel like writing, then they will be happy. With that said, uh, so you have one novel, one novel that I that actually have right in front of me. I started reading it um, yesterday, um, and so far I'm really enjoying it. Um, so you have your novel out, Repugnant, but you also have another novel that I believe just just released. Uh, yes. Did you want to talk about either of those books and let us know about um, maybe something that inspired you to write either one of those or is there something that like you drew some inspiration from when you were working on them or thank you um they are very different novels um i kind of mentioned earlier when talking about extreme horror that like authors tend to go like over the top for fun Mm -hmm. and that's repugnant or like really nitty-gritty and down to earth and that is for the sake of 
Uh, Repugnant is a supernatural slasher based off of my love of late 80s and 90s SOV, like shot on video slasher films, especially the ones that were coming out from Germany, which were so over the top. Uh, anything directed by Andre Schnaz or Olaf Edenbach was a huge Im- influence on that. Repugnant follows a girl who wakes up in a morgue. She has been murdered and is brought back to life by the devil to hunt down her murderer. So most of it is just a zombified woman following a trail of bodies behind a terrible serial killer. For the sake of is kind of uh, owed to like books by Jack Ketchum or John Athen, who would take like headline news stories and twist them into extreme horror stories. And it's based off like prank phone calls in this, a man holds a woman's daughter captive and forces her to play a game where she does like increasingly more and more depraved tasks to save each of her daughter's limbs. So it's very fucked up. Um, it wasn't a lot of fun to write, but I'm really <laughs> proud of it. Well, to, to throw a, a terrible Jad joke out there, it sounds like maybe you went on a, a little bit of a limb. And I think so. Yeah. Oh, I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it pays off. I'm super excited to read it. And then, Thank uh, you. like I said, I mean, Repugnant is so, so far what I've read. I'm about a quarter of the way through it. Um, and it's pretty, pretty freaking rad. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, definitely. So, um, repugnant and for the sake of i'll definitely i'm going to be putting the both of those in the show notes um so if anybody is interested in checking them out just head on down there and go buy them support your indie authors <laughs> um here, here's my question for you you said you're you're yes. reading repugnant right now um mm-hmm. have you gotten to the toilet scene Ooh, not yet but uh, oh that's that's the one scene i've got a lot of direct messages about (laughs) there's so i mean like i said earlier as far as like extreme horror goes um like i'm still pretty new to it but like i think like the the farthest that i've gone um is hostile and then um i've watched like a couple other films but i was like I was younger and I like every single time I watched them, I was like super baked. Um, <laughs> I would have to get like my friends like super high and then be like, oh, we're going to watch this movie. And like, because if we were sober, they'd be like, I'm not watching that. Like that's, that movie's messed no. up. And I would always like get like, we'd just get like super messed up and just like try and find something just like super, just like not, um, not in the ordinary spectrum of what they would watch. And then I, so I remember, I think, um, was it the, was it the last house on the left? I think there was that one. And then I spit on your grave. I think that was the, those two were probably like the, the furthest I've gone. And then, um, you know, like the, the saw movies, I think I only like the first one of those, but I, I think, I don't know if there's any correlation between them. If it's like more, if there's like a difference between gore porn and extreme horror, I think a a lot of horror fans sort of take offense to like the term torture porn Mm -hmm. and prefer the term splatter punk, um, which definitely like what I'm writing, I like to think of as like splatter punk or extreme horror. Yeah, I think like the, the original Last House on the Left and I Spit on Your Grave are a great place to start, but like, oh boy you're you're in for a lot if you're about to take this deep dive like 
get get ready <laughs> um if if you haven't seen uh the ones i would suggest right now off the top of my head hong kong had a lot of great movies in like the the 80s and 90s that really pushed like some extreme boundaries mm-hmm. and vinegar syndrome recently released one of them the ebola syndrome Ooh. Uh, directed by herman Yu, starring anthony wong it is pretty much an hour and 40 minutes of just depravity. <laughs> and it almost gets like funny. It's like super absurd, just like how much they're willing to do and show on camera in that movie. Yeah. Um, but like by the time you get to the point where a guy is like sucking the eyeball out of a girl's head after he's raped her and killed her husband, like it's just a lot. <laughs> yeah. A lot to take in. (laughs) I feel like there's like a weird balance between like grossing people out and then like it's just like it's so over the top absurd that it's like hilarious. Um, I don't think that I've figured that out yet, but I don't I don't know if maybe you feel the same way. If there's like a if there if has there has there been something that you've watched that is like just like you felt completely repulsed and dirty after watching, and then like something that was like maybe at like this like the violence or like whatever happened in it was like at the same level but somehow the way it was like portrayed or written it just was more hilarious than it was repulsive yeah totally um let's see i think a movie that genuinely like affected me is uh chris sun's daddy's little girl which is an australian revenge film Mm. and like that movie does a great job of like walking this line where you're repulsed by the violence in it yeah and yet it's narratively justified because all the violence is towards a person who murdered a child Ah. and you're sitting there and you're like yeah narratively i agree this person deserves to suffer but like oh man they're making us watch all of it (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's so good. It's such an underrated film. Um, love love Daddy's Little Girl. That is a great movie. Uh, on on the other hand, another Hong Kong one is uh, also from the same director of Ebola Syndrome, The Untold Story, which is a almost a dark comedy with a scene where a guy like massacres an entire family. <laughs> And then I won't spoil any more than that. But yeah, a lot of children die in that movie. And there's a lot of humor in it. And I don't know if it was entirely intentional or not. Yeah. It's it's interesting uh, getting into that kind of stuff. And then, you know, some of like, just like some of the, the people that I've talked to that aren't really into horror at all. Like I've gone to like different critique groups and this is not a knock on critique groups. It's just... Um, I think when you're writing and even when in this goes for anything, like if you're going to like write scripts or you're going to write, you know, novels or anything else um, and you do go to critique groups, if you're the only person that writes horror there and it's like not, you know, literary fiction, kind of like Stephen King, yeah, like very palatable stuff. When you start getting into huh. like, you know, things that are, are a lot darker and people are like, uh, should we be reading this and then they're like well you can't kill the dog like you know that's like the golden rule you can't kill the dog and like oh come on now like the kids are getting killed and it's just like (laughs) 
that is like that is like i think i feel like that is that line where it's like if you stay on one side of the line and you like you don't kill the dog and you don't and like you don't kill the kids or something like that and it doesn't matter if it's like a creature feature or if it's a slasher there's kind of like that it's it, there's like that morally gray area where you're like okay well they're a killer or like it's a super scary monster but like it, it doesn't eat children or like you know and then like there's that other line where it's just like you cross over it and it's like okay now they're doing the things that like most of society is like oh you can't do that and it's like i think that's when it turns and it's just like now like we can get into the sinister stuff like the dog's dead children are on the table like we can go like full-blown just sporadic. <laughs> i'll tell you the truth i don't kill um animals in my books oh. um yeah, and you'll see that through all of them. Um, I'm actually a vegetarian in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of love for animals. But in Repugnant, there is a graphic, like, double child murder sequence in it. Um, you have not gotten to that scene yet. I look forward to hearing <laughs> your reaction when you do. Readers um, beware. <laughs> and I'm not going to, like, fault another author for, like, killing animals off in their story. But, like... I just can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it bums me out too much. It makes me sad. <laughs> I've always, I, I don't know. I've always been like on the fence about it. Cause it's like, I'm like, I, I'm like a super big animal lover. Um, I'm not a vegetarian, but like, I, like, I feel like if I went somewhere, if I went somewhere, like I've always wanted to go like travel and like, just go eat what other people eat. Like kind of like like some of those like older food shows where they're just like i'm gonna go see what the locals eat like if they were eating like a reptile or something i'd feel super sad because i I am like a huge reptile nerd like i love going to like reptile stores and like i'll have like conversations with them and like name them and like the shopkeepers are like are you gonna like buy something i'm like no i'm just having a conversation (laughs) and they're like oh okay (laughs) yeah and it's, Uh, it's weird because like i watch so many like exploitation films and there's a long history of animal cruelty being featured in those films Mm -hmm. and it's like you can't really ignore it when you engage with it right yeah i think like the only times where i've ever seen i i I don't know it's weird because i feel like um when animals get killed in in different kinds of like films and books and stuff um i always think back to um, when I read some of like the, the predator books, um, going into like alien versus predator and like, they always had these like internal monologues in, in the predator's heads before, like, you know, they would go and like fight the humans and like, they'd have like a a guard dog there or something. And they'd be like, well, you know, it's like, they don't want to kill it because like, it's this like inferior animal, but they're also like, oh, well I need to, because, you know, like. If I don't, it's going to be an issue down the road when I'm like hunting these humans or something. But I think in a, in a lot of the stuff that I've seen, when you get into like, you know, the stuff that's happening with, with like humans and, and you know, it gets super graphic. A lot of the times, as long as it's like something that like they deserve, like I've read books before where it's just like people are getting tortured and I feel like super bad for them. And then like that one person is like, it's like, you know, they're going to get their revenge and then they do things that are even worse to like their attackers um, or, you know, like if they're kidnappers or, or whatever. And, and they're just like the things that they do are just 
even more terrible than anything else that has happened. And you're just kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, like you were saying before, it's just like, is, there's like that weird kind of like justice justifiable system where you're like, man, we're, we're, we're there. We're going into it. But like, yeah. I also don't feel bad. For, and <laughs> for I, I think that's why I choose like the same narrative mm-hmm. justification for that violence, because like, obviously in real life that, you know, it just doesn't happen that way. But when you're watching a movie, you know, you don't want the bad guy to just sit down and like go through a lengthy court case. You want him right. to get like speared through the mouth. <laughs> yeah. It's like all the things that you're like, I don't, I don't know if you ever um, go on like YouTube or something and you just watch some of like the, the court cases of like these people that just like go in and they like brutally murder somebody's family. And then, you know, like they have that one other person who like survived in the courtroom. And it's like basically every fantasy that they have of like what they want to do to that person. Like, I wish I was the judge and be like, hey, man, we're going to tie this person up and you can do whatever you want to them and just like go to town. Like, you know, let us know what you need. <laughs> you know, and it's need just... a blowtorch. I got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like so. Yeah. Um, well, and that's that's why I think it's so important to like have that fictional catharsis. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I love the, the Nicolas Cage movie Mandy because there were a lot of very specific things in that that gave me some catharsis towards parts of my life that I hadn't been able to deal with until I saw that movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that. I thought that was great. And that's that can be the importance of like a really violent, angry movie mm-hmm. or a violent, angry story or something like that. Yeah, it's definitely it gives it gives people an outlet that I don't, and especially like people that aren't really into horror. I think they're missing out on what kind of outlets they can have. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, they have like a bunch of like pent up aggression and they don't really know how to deal with it. Or like, they think that like, they're the only person that's dealing with that. And then like a lot of times it's like, you sit down and it's like, you, you read something that's just like so over the top and you're just like oh but man like okay and then it's just like you know what you're reading sometimes it's just like oh man i feel like my eyes are getting like fucked with like barbed wire and like i (laughs) I can like sit through this but like then you like you step away and you're just like oh man like you know like life isn't doesn't seem as bad now you know like yeah i had a bad day but like that guy got ripped in half and like his face was <laughs> off <And> someone <laughs> someone literally just posted um about for the sake of and they're like i had a pretty bad day but at least it wasn't as bad as tabby's the main character in that <laughs> book <laughs> yeah it's just it's it's one of those things where it's like somebody can always have a worse day um and i think that a lot of people forget like that a lot of what goes on in life as far as the things that are enjoyable there's less enjoyable things in life than there are like bad things and i think that too many people give attention to like the bad things that happen and forget about the good things and like the more into horror that you go um and this can go for a lot of other genres too you know you can go into you know the other two genres that i was talking about fantasy and science fiction and even beyond that you know like characters in in 
film and in games and books, like they can go through the most terrible experiences and we get to experience that with them. And I think as long as there's, you know, some type of retribution and there's that like solid character arc, I think that, I think that goes a long way to, to help people in dealing with, um, you know, some of the more hardships that they've had in their life. But it also goes yeah. and like lets people know like, hey, like the person who who wrote this didn't just think about this kind of stuff. Right. So like, you know, I know and I know a lot of times in like my writing, like I don't have anything published yet. Um, I'm being a slow poke about it. But like that, like I go back and I read a lot of the stuff that I've uh, that I've worked on and I'm like, oh, yeah, like I know exactly why I wrote that now and it's like I didn't know at the time but it's like you know you're basically putting a part of like who you are and everything that you work on yeah so if you were going to say if you were going to do uh some kind of collaboration with somebody um and you don't have to and and if you don't want to you don't have to like name a name but like if you were if you were to do a collaboration with somebody would it be in the same genre or would it be something different and and what do you think it would be about like what would you want i I think it would just depend on how we like function together as as authors um because i can go from doing things that are more fun to things that are more depressing and if someone does not want to like basically come to work and be depressed for you know a solid (laughs) month while we crank out the novel (laughs) I, uh, I would obviously not want to do one of those types of books with them. Um, <laughs> most of the authors that I really admire, though, tend to go for that, like, humanist horror. Um, so I, I would want to bring, like, my, like, the darkest, most fucked up shit I can to that sort of thing. You had mentioned that there is a huge chunk of what you're interested in is from like the eighties and the nineties. Right. And so one of my things, and I've been, I've, I've been trying to work on this for a while and trying to like understand where I sit on stuff. Right. Cause so I, so to give you some background um, before I jump into this, so I was raised Protestant, right. So very, I wouldn't say very strict Christian family, but like, my parents always knew that I liked horror, but like, I wasn't able to like get into horror. So there's a lot of stuff that I probably would have gotten into when I was younger that like, I really didn't get into until like my late twenties. Cause like, I always just had this stigma where it's like, I can't get into that stuff. So now it's like, it's weird because it's like, there's some stuff that I grew up on, right? Like I love like Freddy Krueger and like Hellraiser and like the cube. And then like some more like just random bizarro kind of horror. But one of the things I've always wondered, um, and I always, I love asking people when they say that they draw a lot of inspiration from the 80s and 90s, which I think is like the golden era of horror, is how do you feel about the horror, like the new horror that's coming out? And how do you think, how do, how do you find it different now versus in the 80s and the 90s? Well, I guess I should clarify my um, my favorite personal like decade of film is the 70s. Okay. I don't think any other decade has just met that type of inventiveness 
for the 90s like i'm i'm a big fan of the more underground stuff that was coming out then modern movies i i get so torn on because we will go through such long periods of just like nothing coming out mm-hmm. and then we get these like brilliant bright like moments <laughs> um i actually really liked seeing uh malignant in theaters oh yeah that was fun yeah i was like as goofy and as weird as that movie was it just felt like pure creativity yeah it felt like nobody told james wan no (laughs) and yeah i love that i thought that was great and i feel like hollywood has always done reboots and remakes and stuff like that it's nothing new um but we're getting so like meta with it and I'm tired of that. I'm tired of everything being ironic or like a big wink to the audience. I, I just kind of want something that's like pure fun and doesn't have to have caveats with it. Um, so modern movies can be great. And I really love a lot of indie movies coming out, but I also just get very drained and tired. But yeah, like the seventies is so consistent. Like if, if I just feel like, drained and frustrated i will go to that era and escape to it and it's fantastic how do you feel about um reboots like i know like they just came out with scream they've been trying forever in a day like i so i really like black and white horror so like the creature from the black lagoon has like always been one of my favorites and i know that they're trying to like now they're trying to remake that I'm like, unless you have a new idea for it, leave it alone. Yeah. Um, I thought the Suspiria remake was fantastic mm-hmm. because other than like a few themes, it was its own movie. Yeah. It definitely depended on the original to exist, but like beyond that, it's an entirely different organism. And I, what, what I got frustrated with was the new Scream was it felt like we already went through reboot territory with the fourth one and now we're remaking a reboot. (laughs) So, and uh, yeah, I, I don't love like being a negative critic towards anything, but I just want more things like malignant that just feel like exciting and fresh. Yeah. Whether it works or not, if you give me something new, I'm going to enjoy it. It was kind of weird. So I felt very weird, like walking out of that film. And I think a lot of it now, and I would say this is, this has probably been something, you know, that has always been an issue that I've had, not only with, you know, film trailers, but for game trailers and TV trailers is the way that they market the trailers I don't think the trailers did Malignant justice. No, they made it look like a kind of casual possession movie with like a murder mystery backbone. And it's neither of those. Right. It's just like a super like over the top. And like, I really, I, I loved the premise of it. Like if, if anybody's listening to this and they haven't seen that film yet, go like, like, Please finish this podcast, but when you're done, go check that film out. Check you the know, films out that have been recommended. But like, I was trying to figure everything out, and I was like, "There's got to be like." I thought it was kind of like one of those things, like, um, "Oh, um, high tension." Have you seen that? The the French. Horror? Yeah, 
I thought it was sort of kind of like that where like, I was I was so happy they didn't go that route. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would have been like, that's like too easy to figure out. Yeah. Oh, the, you hit like a certain moment in Malignant where you're just like, oh, we're doing this now. Okay, awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, I just kind of thought like, <laughs> it, it feels like an extended like creep show segment. Mm-hmm. It's It's got that like EC 1950s comic book vibe to it, but with like a lot of color and gore. Yeah. Yeah. And the buildup, the buildup for it was really good too. Yeah. So I I would not mind if there were more films like that, and I think a lot of the a lot of the issue is that you have it's always like this like creative genius versus like the suits, and the suits are like this is what we want because this will sell. Yeah. Like <laughs> it might not be a bad idea to just listen to the creatives like i was watching something today on um, one of the one of the youtube channels that i watch and they talk a lot about like the different alien films and in the segment that i was watching they were talking about how like originally ripley was going to get killed at the end of the movie and it was like she was going to make it all the way there and then they were going to kill her and like geiger and and um ridley were were just like no like that that just doesn't like we've we've gotten a a we've got a female character to get all the way to the end which like never happens and then two we're just gonna like kill her like no like she's gonna be you know bigger than that so we have to like change the ending and like the people who were just like no like you know it'd be better if we kill her and it was like all these people that were like you know producing the film and they were just like you know like we have the money and like we're gonna go ahead and do it and they were just like nope like we're not like that doesn't seem like the best option so i think giving people that like creative freedom and not like like you said as far as like breathing down their neck and like oh man like you got to come out with this book now or like you got to come out with this film and like we don't want you to write this like write this instead like yeah uh, which which is totally why like i've fallen so hard for indie horror right now and for uh self-published books because it's literally just unfiltered creativity and ideas being thrown out there by people who like obviously we all want to make money we all want this to be our careers but like we also know that we're appealing to people who don't care whether we're like appealing to everybody or not right so what would you say to if there was like one thing that you wanted people to know about horror or maybe like um something something about horror that like changed your life for the better like what what would that be like what is like an experience that you can can speak of that might like resonate with others Oh, I don't know. It's just, it's always been like a part of my life that I like, I don't really think I've ever had this like epiphany moment with horror. It's (laughs) just kind of what I live and breathe. It's always been here. Um, I, I think like to get away from like just the genre itself, it was so cool. Like getting my first reviews for like my books on, um, on amazon both positive and negative like 
just having people read my words was such a like huge thing for me. Mm-hmm. And if anybody like, if anybody really wants to see whether or not their opinions matter, like the best thing to do is to just put it out there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you, so I, I know this is, is, is a pretty heated topic because I, I know that some people will just flat out tell you, they're just like, you know, you put your book out there, you don't read the reviews, you know, because they don't want to read the negative reviews. And then like, there's this weird stigma where it's like, you can't write a negative review. And like, I have, you know, there's books that like I've read from authors that I really like, and like, they just came out with a a book or like they made a film or something that I'm like, I, this is, I don't like it. And then I'm like, do I like put, a review out do i like write a review and just be like these are the reasons why i don't like it like obviously i'm not going to go on there and be like this this media sucked like i hate yeah it. <laughs> um, i'm gonna give some kind of reason um but you i mean you're saying that you like you go on and, and you're reading the the positive reviews and the negative reviews uh how would how does that impact what you write like is it more um, do you read it just to see how people are, are reacting to your writing or do you kind of like take things in as like a lesson or, or... um, it, you know, unfortunately, and it's weird that I say this, but unfortunately I haven't gotten a ton of negative reviews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I actually love seeing like what doesn't work for people. Um, because sometimes it just reaffirms that I'm doing something right. <laughs> especially when it comes to like you know my books I put trigger warnings on the cover on the inside and on the back there's a trigger warning on the description on Amazon so if I get someone who's like mad at me because I like upset them with the violence or the sexual content <laughs> in my books then I'm like good like you're obviously not the type of person that I was immediately appealing to <laughs> um I'm going to keep doing that because it's just going to get better for the people that do like that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I did get one that talked about like some of my grammar issues in the first book. And I mean, it is just hard because like doing indie publishing, like access to a professional editor is few and far between. Um, But like, I, I'm so proud and I, I, don't even want to like toot my own horn on it but i'm so proud of the editing in uh for the sake of especially and repugnant Mm -hmm. um because i i had to do it all on my own and you know there's going to be like one or two small typos but they they look so clean and professional and i just feel like i i've learned so much as a writer since those first books yeah i mean this i think what a lot of people don't get um that you know i i think if you're reading if you're if you're an avid reader um you might know i feel like people would know that read a lot especially with indie authors but it annoys me or i shouldn't even say annoy it infuriates me when i'm like reading these these all these like stupid lists that they have out now and they're just like 10 easy ways to make money and like one of them is like Oh, just write a book and put it on Amazon. It's like you can't, it's not that simple. Like I <laughs> yeah, no. write a book and put it out there. Like everyone is gonna like, you know, like you're saying, like people are gonna like if it's 
just like the smallest like smidgen iota kind of thing of like bad spelling or like grammar issues and people are like they, they want to like burn you at the stake like god forbid like you just like write a book first draft and like put it out there which is like what a lot of these like lists are promoting but it's like you know and this is no kind of like knock on um you know editors or anything i hope to have you know a fair amount of editors on here for different content um oh and i've i've but, been rejected by several editors just because of the content of my books <laughs> yeah i mean it's so it's one it's like it's hard because it's like trying to find an editor that will take your content it's like even if you do the homework sometimes it's like they're still just like no like it's it's in this way or like they're like this is an issue for me or like you know so you get past maybe you get past that right and like somebody's like okay yeah like i'll edit this for you that's expensive and like having it you have to pay that out of pocket and then like you know like i've seen people be like why does this person have a gofundme for their book or like you know why why do they have like some kind of fundraiser and it's like well a they're trying to get the word out because when you're doing things as an indie you know professional indie author or filmmaker or anything like that it's not you're not most of the time you're not coming from money right so it's like all of your editing all of your cover art, unless you're going to do it on your own, like all of your promoting, it's not just write the book, put it out. You know, it's like all these other things that I think people don't realize. And it's like the more niche your genre is, I feel like the harder it is to get all that stuff out there and to fund it. Yeah. And to anybody who's thinking of going into it, like you're just going to have to put up with like a long period of time where you're not seeing any return from it. Mm-hmm. like it just takes a while to get your name out there and to get people to focus on you. I'm still like working on it. I, I don't really pay for advertising. I'm relying entirely on word of mouth for my books. And I'm just, I'm trying to put out as many books as I can right now, just so that people will notice them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like important. And I, I you know, I think that's something that I, I will always stress is that like, you don't, you don't just write a book, publish it, and then like you wake up the next day and you're like America's next millionaire or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think that's kind of the dream. And like people see like the A and then they see the Z, the Z right? And they're like, okay, yeah. I'm going to write a book and then uh, I will wake up and I will <laughs> like pay for my parents to get a house or like I will pay my medical bills off or something like that. And it's like, no, no I still have a job. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah so um so in in closing like is there anything that you're working on or like any kind of um thoughts that you've had on any kind of like horror that's come out or that's coming out um like what's what's on your mind what are you what are you working on uh i'm i'm mostly just writing right now i have finished um two different drafts um one of them is actually going to be published in february uh the third of february uh, my zombie book torture the sinners is coming out um march i have a subversion of the killer clown genre coming out called the clown hunt 
And then after that, I've got my very first erotic romance called Greta's Fruit Cup coming out. So very different books, but I'm very excited to have all of them just one after another. All right. Well, you, it sounds like you, man, you just, <laughs> you just like wake <laughs> up and like the typewriter is right there. You're just like, Shh. I wish it's, I, I spend my whole day at work just thinking about what I'm going to write that day. I get uh-huh. home and I write. <laughs> have you ever it, seen, um, did you, have you seen Ghost in the Shell before? Uh, that's, I have not. I know it's an anime, but I have not seen it. There's, there's this one scene. Um, I can send it to you later. It's, it's like a, this guy sits down and he has to like type something. And I can't remember if it's like he's like counter hacking someone or something, but it's like this huge like cyberpunk thing where like, I, like they're, they're trying to like hack this guy's brain. And like he sits down and he's, it's like, he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to type this thing out. And then like, you just see his hands like open up and like break apart. And there's all these like wires and then the wires like break apart and like spread out even more. And then there's just like this, like these like two like metallic Rudy looking hands. And they're just like typing away on this keyboard. And like, I always feel like, you know, when people have like all these projects and they're just like pumping them out and they're like, they're all good. I'm like, how how does your brain (laughs) how how does your brain maintain all that and then like you get home and you're just like and just like typing away i wish it was that easy that'd be (laughs) awesome so all right so thank you for coming on everyone once again this is judith sonnet author of repugnant and for the sake of and several other books as you know that are coming out um, and a couple different genres. So thank you so much for coming out and talking with me and being on this show. Thank you so much. I was so happy to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the generic podcast where we talk about everything horror, science fiction, and sometimes fantasy. I had a great time conversing with Judith Sonnet for this episode, and I hope to have her on the show again one day. For now, Make sure to check out the show notes so you can see where to pick up all of her newest and latest releases, as well as all of the past releases that she's come out with. If you're interested in where you can catch this podcast, you can find it on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you like what you've been hearing from this podcast, make sure to give it a follow and share with your friends. And also... Make sure to tune in next week when we talk with Allison from the Who's There podcast. And until then, I hope you all have a great rest of your week. And you all keep being the amazing people you all are.